It's as easy as jumping out of a plane. It's the Your Life Lived Well podcast with Dr. Kevin Payne. Okay, I'm just messing with you guys. We are going to talk about meditation today, but it's not going to be all about mantras and metaphysics and woo-woo kind of things. We're going to talk about what it actually is, what it's doing in your mind and your brain, and especially why it's a really useful tool for living with a chronic health condition. So, my story with meditation goes back a long way. Back when I was a kid, in the 70s, there was this television show called Kung Fu. And some of you may remember it. Uh, it starred David Carradine as this wandering Shaolin monk. And, you know, as an aside, the show was originally designed for Bruce Lee. But the racist programmers of the time didn't think that an Asian man could helm a show about Asian culture. So go figure. Um, but anyway, uh, he's wandering around and he meditates. There's a lot of scenes in that show where they're meditating. And it's very much the stereotype of Eastern meditation bald guys in robes sitting in a lotus position and, and being very still and very focused. And, okay, I'll admit it, I was a weird kid. I thought, that looks really interesting. So uh, back then, uh, what you would do is go to the library and order some books because you have to remember, I'm uh, a kid growing up in the middle of the Midwest and this was not something that that I knew anybody who did. I, I didn't have any personal experience with it. I just thought, that looks really kind of interesting. So I, I, the, library, the librarians were used to my weird requests for books. And, and so by the early 80s, then, I, you know, I started trying it myself. And you know, it was kind of hit or miss, and then I, I kind of started getting the hang of it, and I thought, you know, I really like this. So meditation has been off and on something that I practiced for, you know, almost 40 years now. Uh, and, and it's something that, over the years I've found, has a direct association with my quality of life. I, I am a better human in the world I, I experience the world better, I, my health is better, I function better when I meditate regularly. So now it's essential to my quality of life. This is something that I do every day. I started this morning uh, by doing my meditation, and there, there are different kinds of meditation, and, and the one kind that I always do every day is something called a body scan meditation. And it's, it's a way for me, you know, with my wonky central nervous system, it's a way for me to understand what's going on with my body today and what's working well and what's not working well and what kind of resources I have to deal with. So we'll get into the things that you can do with meditation later on. But that's always, always, always the thing that I start my day with. Because then I can go out into the world armored with an understanding of here's what I can deliver during that day. So it's, that's a really important bit of self-knowledge to, to go out into the world with. And it's something that if we're healthy, we take for granted. But if we're living with an ongoing health condition, uh, you know, sometimes we're on and sometimes we're not. And, and this is the way that I found that allows me to uh, be more confident and uh, more functional 
within the world. So when we think about meditation, we, we think of, you know, those stereotypes that I, that I was talking about. And throughout human history, it's been associated with religious and spiritual practice. And, of course, it is still used in that way. And our history with meditation is really old. There are wall decorations in, in ancient buildings in the Indian subcontinent going back 7,000 years that show people meditating. Sitting in that position, kind of with eyes half closed, you know, the, all those. So it's been around for a long time. In, in Western traditions, it's a little newer, but by 2,000 years ago, you had Greek, Jewish, and, and early Christian thinkers that were starting to engage in these kinds of practices. You know, if, you, if you're really interested in the geeky history of it, look up Philo of Alexandria, and he's kind of the guy in the West that, that uh, often got this started. So, so by the 18th and 19th century, Western curiosity, you know, from, from trade and colonialism, is starting to import some of these ideas and, you know, into Europe and North America. And we're starting to see people interested in this, especially in the United States in the 19th century, the transcendentalists. There, there's another really interesting group of people that I'm not going to, you know, uh, go off on a tangent with, but look them up. So by the 1960s in the U.S., you know, you had the, the, uh, the hippie movements and the peace movements, and they're interested in Eastern cultures, and, and, and we start seeing this becoming more mainstream, but we also see secular meditation that's being experimented with by medical and health professionals for things like stress reduction, relaxation, self-improvement, and then, you know, you get something like a TV series in the early 70s that, that uh, touches the curiosity of a, of, a, of a kid. So what meditation is and how we define it is still kind of nebulous, and it's still kind of ill-defined. We'll talk about kind of some of the basics of it as we get into the next segment but, you know, through the 1970s and 80s, we started modern research, research done by medical professionals, by psychologists, and who are really looking at, well, what's happening to our brains and our minds? Remember, those are two different things. Just like behaviors are what bodies do, minds are what brains do. So they started examining well, what's really happening you know in, in between our ears when when we do this meditation and there's evidence for lots and lots of positive effects in in terms of stress reduction in terms of mindset and in terms of quality of life in terms of overall health but that research is still ongoing and we're still not 100% certain why this happens. So after the break, we'll talk about what's happening when we meditate and why this is something that you should be interested in. I'm Dr. Kevin Payne. Just jump with me into your life lived well. Half of us now live with chronic illness. Mine is multiple sclerosis. It's your life. Live it well. A chronic diagnosis doesn't mean goodbye to the good life you wanted. You don't have to feel overwhelmed or hopeless. I'll show you how to save yourself. Take your first step at justjump.life. And we're back, and we're meditating. Okay, we're not meditating just yet, but we will before the episode is over. So... I'm not interested in this episode about the potential religious or spiritual aspect of meditation. I'm interested in meditation as a way of training aspects of our minds and brains. 
So at its at its very most basic, meditation is practicing focused attention. And we may be, you know, the very first thing that we learn to focus on is the breath. And we'll have quite a bit to say about that. But we may be focusing on our senses. We may be focused on a feeling, on an idea, on a mantra, uh, which is just a, a word that, that embodies some kind of concept or feeling that we're repeating and, and using as that anchor uh, to come back to. So whatever it is, we're focusing our attention on a place to come back to when our minds wander. Because our minds do wander. And people have this, this mistaken misconception that when you are meditating, it's this ironclad focus on one thing. And they think, oh, that's too hard, and I can't do that. And that is exactly the wrong way to think about it, because that's not what it is. Our minds are always wandering around. Meditation is about learning a better way of gently shepherding yourself. So then... For most meditations, there's that point of focus. For more advanced meditations, then, uh, like resting awareness, uh, we don't presume a focal point. We let things emerge as we go. But, but there are many, many different kinds. We'll talk about some different kinds of meditation as we go along. So why do we key to the breath as the basic way into meditation? Because breath is natural, breath is rhythmic, breath grounds us into our bodies and our feelings. So, and sometimes this is just actually called breath work. When we do that, when we focus on these slow, deep, regular breaths, now, when I say slow, deep, and regular, don't read too much into that because it's not too slow, it's not too deep, it's not too regular, right? Because if it becomes excessive and too regulated, well, that's not natural. That's not the way humans are. It's breathing naturally in the way that is slow and deep when it's comfortable for you, okay? It's about finding that relaxed point of comfort. When we do this neurologically, what's happening is we are engaging our parasympathetic nervous system. Sometimes, colloquially, that's called our rest-and-digest nervous system. This is the part of our nervous system that is engaged when we're feeling relaxed and comfortable. The cool thing about it is you've got the parasympathetic nervous system and then you've got the sympathetic nervous system. And the sympathetic nervous system is often called the fight-or-flight system. Well, they can't both be engaged at once. So when you are engaging your parasympathetic nervous system with those deep, calming, regular, rhythmic breaths, you can't be all amped up. It's physically impossible. You can't do it. Now, you may have trouble engaging the system, but again, this is about practice, right? You, you wouldn't expect to be able to do... We have this, this weird bias with ourselves. We think that we know our own minds. 
We think that if we can think it, it should be easy to do it. Even if that has to do with feelings and thoughts and, and stuff like that. And that's, that's just wrong. We have to practice doing those basic human things so that we can do them well. And that's what this is about. So, why are we meditating? Because, uh, one, we're spending time with ourselves. And we're learning who we really are. That sounds kind of weird. But you don't actually pay much attention to yourself. You're on autopilot most of the time. I am, everybody else is. Why? Because we're what I call resource misers, which is just a nice way of saying lazy. And, and, and that's okay, because we're, we're adapted to be that way. So we're not usually paying attention to what's happening. Our minds are, we're spacing off, we're thinking about the future, planning stuff, we're ruminating on the past, we're fantasizing about something we'd like to be doing. Whatever it is, our minds are everywhere but here with you in this moment. So we need to practice spending time with ourselves and learning who we really are. Think about this. If you are hanging out with another person and you always have your face buried in your phone or you're spaced off and, and staring into the distance and not responding, how does that other person feel? Now, you do that to yourself all the time. How do you think you feel about you when you don't even give yourself the time of day? How can you have a good relationship with yourself if you don't spend time with yourself and learn who you really are? The second thing that we're doing with meditation is we're exercising parts of our mind and brain that can be stronger. We use all of our brains at some time during the day. You know, that, that myth that there's 80% or whatever percent of your brain that you're not using is just completely, totally, absolutely wrong. We use all of it. We just don't use all of it at the same time. Okay? The problem is we use a lot of the parts of our brain that are not the parts that we should be using. So we use the parts of our brain that really bring us down, that uh, question everything that we are doing, that are negative in, in lots of ways, right? And so those are the parts, just like your muscles, those are the parts that get big and strong and that we are primarily going to. But those aren't the parts of our brains, those aren't the parts of our minds that we want big and strong, right? So we're exercising the parts of our mind and our brain that allow us to focus, that allow us to manage our attention, that allow us to manage our emotions and regulate our emotions, that allow us to move forward in life. A third thing that we're doing when we're meditating is we're changing our perspective on ourselves and on our world so that we can become more forgiving and grateful. I know that sounds fluffy and smarmy, and, and it sounds like, ooh, he said he wasn't going to slip into that stuff. But what I'm telling you is, you have a really awful attitude to yourself, probably. More often than you would like to admit, probably. And you don't have to. You can cultivate a better attitude toward yourself. I mean, really, think about it. If you were someone else and you displayed your attitude toward you, you would not want to hang out with yourself, now would you? And yet, 
You're smushed into that body with yourself, and you have to. Now, how much stress, how much dysfunction is that poor relationship with yourself adding to your world? So we're going to meditate because we're going to learn to be more forgiving and more grateful with ourselves, with our world. And the fourth thing that we're going to be doing, uh, you know, the, practically with meditation is we're going to be cultivating detachment and persistence. Why is that important? Because so often you get so wrapped up in yourself that you, you can't step back. You know, you know why you need another person to sometimes give you perspective on what you're doing? Because they can give you a little distance and they can say, mm, no, you know, you need to really get over yourself here and do something else. Or you, if you have that detachment, you can start doing that for yourself. And that's a really cool thing. You can also practice what persistence really looks like. Because we have a misunderstanding of what persistence actually looks like. And, and we don't live up to our idealized misunderstanding, we give up. So in the next segment, we will unpack some of these ideas and we'll talk about a couple of metaphors that will help you better understand your brain and your mind and what you're experiencing. We all have challenges. Mine is multiple sclerosis. We each have this one life, and we didn't choose to be saddled with chronic illness. But there's a better way. So I choose to just jump, and you can too. It's your life. Live it well. Justjump.life So what are the benefits that meditation is providing for us? Well, we've, we've said spending time with yourself, learning who you are, exercising parts of your mind and brain that can be stronger. And it really is. I want you to look at this as exercise. Because, I mean, just like I start my day with meditation, the next thing I do is I hit the weights. And I exercise my body as well. We're also changing our perspective on ourselves. We're learning to be more forgiving and grateful. In other words, we're learning not to be so lousy in the way we treat ourselves. Because we really do. We add a lot of stress. I mean, I, I know a lot of people. And with the way they treat themselves, I'm like, you know, if you, if you treated anybody else the way you treat yourself you'd have to live in a cave and no one would want to come see you. And I, I've been there. I've, I, I've been pretty awful to myself at some times in my life. It's, it's, I'm not standing up on some kind of pedestal talking down to you here. It's, it's like we're all prone to this at some times or another. It's part of being human. And, we're conf and we are con cultivating that detachment and persistence. So all of this stuff, you know, all of this stuff is, we, we think, oh, I should just know this because I'm human, right? I should just know this. But everything must be learned. And this is stuff that is so basic that we take it for granted that we should know it out of the box. And then we berate ourselves when we don't do it well. No, you got to learn it. You've got to practice it. And even if everything I've said in this episode is something that, on a cognitive level, you know, knowing is not understanding or doing. You've got to do this stuff. And you've got to fail at this stuff. And you've got to be okay failing at this stuff. Because that means that you're at your edge. That's where you're learning. So you will fail, and then you'll succeed occasionally, and you'll get really excited, and you'll be, wow, this is cool, and then you'll fail again. 
And you'll say, oh, that's dumb. No, you just do it again. You, you, you try it, you reflect on it, you consolidate, you learn something, you try it again. And eventually, you become consistent at it. And eventually, it gets so ingrained that it becomes a habit in your life. But it's a process, and you got to do it, and you got to be willing to fail when you do it. Even at something that seems so basic as breathing correctly or being kinder to yourself. You still have to practice. Everything must be learned. Meditation is, uh, you know, training to be present and focused in your world because you really can't deliver unless you are here and you really can't deliver if your mind is going 20 different directions at the same time. You just can't. You, you are not doing anything as well as you think you are if you are living that way. And the rest of us notice. Sorry, but we do. So meditation changes our brain physiology. This is neuroplasticity, okay, which has become a cool word. And we'll, we'll do a whole episode on this because it's really cool stuff. But the brain is like a muscle. The brain learns. And, and people say that, oh, I'm too old to learn anything new. Bull. You have neuroplasticity, and we've got tons and tons and tons of studies that you learn up until you die. And if you say, I can't learn anything new, what you're really saying is, I'm committing to relearning and reinforcing all the stuff I already think I know. But you could just as easily learn something new. I've got two metaphors about how our minds actually work that I want you to think about, okay? And I hope that this absolutely changes the way you think about thinking and feeling. So the first one is we all have dispositions, right? We all have personalities. We all have assumptions that we carry into the world and most of those are, are, are things that we haven't even reflected on. You know, we, we just take them as real, and, and, and that's what it is. So our dispositions are like the climate, okay? And some of us are, are, are colder, and, and we're living closer toward the poles, and some of us are are hotter and we're living closer to the equator and and you know some of us are calmer and some of us are more excitable some of us are stormy and that's the climate okay so so one given place doesn't have all of the possible weather at one time but it does have certain patterns over time right and so each of us has a different disposition and that's our climate. The weather is what's going on in our minds right now. And just like the weather in the real world, wait five minutes and it'll change. Okay? Now, why is that important? In a couple of ways. If we think of, okay, so, so let's think for a moment. If, we, if we're really down and we're, and we're really grumpy and we're really angry and we're resentful and, and all of those things all the time, well, that's the weather, right? That's not necessarily our climate because here's the thing. You have to work to keep an emotional state. You have to keep feeding it. You have to keep reinforcing it. You have to keep ruminating on it. You have to keep going. You have to keep hanging on to it. 
nobody is naturally sad all the time. Nobody is naturally angry all the time. You have a climate and you have weather that moves through. So if you are always miserable, you are working at that. One of the things meditation allows us to do is to recognize those things and then let them go. Let them pass. And then recognize the next thing that's coming through your internal weather. So the way we think about this and the way this part of it is uh, kind of more of a Buddhist metaphor and it's the idea that behind all the clouds behind all of the crazy weather events that are going on there's still blue sky there's still the sun and the sun gives light like we have cognition it illuminates parts of the world as we think about them and the sun has heat like emotion it gives color and flavor and texture to our world right and that allows us to perceive and experience the expanse of our minds you know the light of cognition the warmth of emotion and this idea that behind all the clouds the natural state is blue sky. So, if you are stuck in a particular emotional place that is negative, that is, you know, if you're stuck in a particular cognitive place that is judgmental in negative ways, those can be as the weather. And, and they can change. And, and the nice thing about meditation is you're learning to see the judgments you're making but not attach to them. And say, oh, okay, that's a, that's a really miserable thought that just came through my mind. All right. And then let it go and see what comes through next. Because the second metaphor that we're really interested in here is it's 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 a delightful one it's another uh this one is is uh you know a very old buddhist idea and it's the idea of the monkey mind our minds are like monkeys gambling all about and chittering and and into everything and that's our natural state and I talk about this in my book, Your Life Lived Well. It's not just one monkey. We're actually a barrel of monkeys. <laughs> so, uh, and, and you can't grab a monkey and stop it. Can you? You grab the monkey, the monkey fights back. And, and your thoughts and your feelings and your attention are, are you know, Bonkers are going all around, right? So, the way to get your monkeys to work with you is not to force them. Focus is not about force. Focus is about acceptance. It's like, oh, okay, this, this thought just came across my mind. Okay, you accept it, you acknowledge it, and then you gently move your focus back to where you want it to be. And then, oh, something else comes along. And you, you acknowledge it, and you accept it, and then you gently move your focus back to where you want it to be. That's what focus is like, right? That's what it is. It's accepting it's working within the nature of being human 
and the nature of being human is we're a bunch of cave monkeys. And that's okay. We're pretentious uppity cave monkeys, and, and we, can, we can work with it, uh, but we have to acknowledge it. So we are always judging. That's natural. People say, don't judge. And it's like, no, 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 that's the wrong attitude. We naturally judge. If we didn't judge, we wouldn't be alive because judgment is about movement and motivation. It's about getting us from one place to another, toward things that we want, that we judge positively, away from things that we judge negatively. However, we don't always have to act on our judgments, and we don't always have to accept our judgments. And we can always understand that we're not just making one judgment, we're making many different kinds of judgments. And we can choose which ones we accept and which ones we acknowledge, but we don't follow. This is a crucially different way of thinking about living in your own mind. And through meditation, we can learn to practice We can understand and experience our minds in the way they actually are. We have to work to stay in the darkness. We have to, you know, hanging on to aging, resentment, slights, hurts. That's not natural. That's not the way our minds work. That's not the way the weather works. The other consequence of this that's crucially important is that what we are looking for, that blue sky, that that clear understanding of the world lit and warmed by positive emotions, is already there. We're not creating it. We're not searching for it somewhere else, we're discovering it inside. I'll let you think on that for a few minutes as uh, we head into the final segment. I'm Dr. Kevin Payne. Just jump with me into your life lived well. Half of us now live with chronic illness. Mine is multiple sclerosis. It's your life. Live it well. A chronic diagnosis doesn't mean goodbye to the good life you wanted. You don't have to feel overwhelmed or hopeless. I'll show you how to save yourself. Take your first step at justjump.life. We've learned so far that meditation is not sitting real still with iron focus and and, uh, thinking deep ethereal metaphysical thoughts it's it's really practical and it's really useful and you know you don't even have to be still when you can do it i mean there are forms of meditation that you can do while say doing yoga or while walking you know, uh, you know, any repetitive physical activity, bike riding, swimming, rowing. I like rowing myself. Um, but, uh, you know, you, those things can become meditative activities. And, you know, what we're really doing is building mental and emotional muscles. Uh, we're, we're spending time with ourselves, you know, and learning who we actually are. And, and, and that we are okay, you know, with, with all of our faults and foibles, we're still okay, right? And, and everybody has those deficiencies, you know, we're, we're human and we don't like to acknowledge Our imperfections. And actually, that's a whole other episode that will be coming down the pike here. But, but we compare ourselves with our greater 
although still in complete knowledge, and, and all of our understanding of our failures and our shortcomings, we compare that with the display behaviors of others where they're on their game, right? Where they're doing their best, where in our media-saturated world, they've got a whole team of people behind them making them look a particular way. And we will lose that comparison every time. And intellectually, we may know that, but our, our inner cave child, our inner cave monkey doesn't. And we have to learn to be more graceful and more forgiving of that inner chorus of primal creatures that, that we live with in our heads. And that's okay. And meditation provides us a set of tools to begin that understanding and that negotiation, right? Meditation provides us with tools to exercise parts of our brains and our minds that we don't necessarily engage as often as we want, right? As often as we should. Those really beneficial parts, the parts that allow us to focus and accomplish but that also allow us to truly relax and, and feel grateful and, and feel forgiving of ourselves and one another. Meditation allows us, because we keep experiencing it by the process of practicing meditation, it allows us to change our perspective on ourselves and our world in those ways that that are more gentle. I mean, we're awful rough on ourselves. We really are. And, and the thing is, most of the time, we don't even want to admit how awful we are to ourselves. And, you know, really, we don't want to admit that if you were in a relationship with you, you would probably want a divorce. What kind of stress does that add to their lives? How often are you getting in your own way just because of that? On the other hand, if you just cut yourself a little bit of a, of a break, right? Just cut yourself a little slack. Allow yourself to breathe deeply and, and just be. How cool is that? What an amazing gift to give ourselves. That's why I start my day in that way. Because I know I'm going to screw up plenty of times during the day. I'm, I'm going to start the day by spending a little time with myself and getting to understand myself and knowing what's going on in my weird dysfunctional carcass every, every morning so I know what I have to work with, so that I can later on, instead of being frustrated, I can be more graceful toward myself. And we are learning this stuff. We're practicing meditation because we're cultivating our detachment, right? A little bit of distance. Because you know what a little bit of distance, because... You can look at somebody else having a massive amount of problems and you can say, mm, that there's messed up, that there is, and you know it is. But when you are doing the same thing, you can't provide that detachment for yourself and say, mm, that there's messed up, I should be doing this instead. Because you get all wrapped up and in your own way, right? Through meditation, we're developing the skills and the observation and the attention and the focus and the distance that allows us to do that. We're also learning what persistence actually looks like. Persistence doesn't look like laser focus. 
Laser focus is an illusion. And yeah, we can get there. It's called a flow experience. You know, most of the time, persistence, focus, resilience, which is such a big buzzword right now, is about seeing the negative, acknowledging it, allowing it to exist, and then moving your focus back to the way forward. But we don't naturally do any of these things. We have to practice it. We have to practice it. We have to fail. We have to come back to it. We have to succeed and then fail again. And, and that's okay. At the very end of this episode here, and I've, one of the things that I've realized through the recording of this episode is we're going to have a second episode on meditation coming pretty quickly here because I've really only scratched the surface on this. I want to end this episode with a couple of practical things, and we're going to dive down into some practical how-to techniques. Um, but I want to end this episode with a little bit of practical stuff for you to start practicing on. Meditation is really simple in the knowing of it, but it's difficult in the doing. And it's difficult because working harder at it defeats the purpose of the activity. So the harder you work, the worse it's going to happen. Allowing yourself to learn to let go and experience and acknowledge and keep persisting is a completely different skill set that most of us have never had. And I can guarantee if you practice this, you will not only be a better person in the world, you'll be a better parent, you'll be a better boss or co-worker, you'll be a better friend, because not only are is your mind filled with a bunch of little cavorting primal monkeys. Everybody, everybody else is too. And we're all that way. So, one of the other things that I do every day, many times a day, usually, is I practice what I just call a mindful minute. All right? So, feeling a little stressed, feeling a little unfocused, feeling a little unproductive, feeling maybe negative, uh, maybe I'm angry or, or frustrated or sad, any of those things. I'm going to pause, and I can do this anywhere. And, and really the only thing is you probably want your back to be relatively straight so that your breath is unimpeded right? You want, you want these clear, slow breaths. So what we're going to do then is we're going we're gonna to pause and let the focus of your eyes go a little soft, right? You know, like you're just kind of staring off into the middle distance. Nothing is forced. Nothing is difficult or hard or effortful right? Just let it relax. Let your eyes relax. And you'll see the world go a little soft. And then take a deep breath. In through your nose, out through your mouth. It doesn't have to be. I mean, a lot of us have, you know, respiratory issues that we're dealing with. Goodness knows that I'm, I have a set of allergies for every time of the year, so sometimes I can't do it that way. Sometimes I have to do it through my mouth. But you breathe in, and it's as deep as you can comfortably breathe, and let the breath fill your chest cavity and really feel the experience of the breath, and then slowly release. And then... Close your eyes. Now, it'll probably take five or six breaths to do a mindful minute, right? So, on your first breath, you're going to be still. You're going to follow the breath 
into your body. Let it get big and then release it. And then as you do that, let your awareness slip inside your head. What are you thinking? What are you feeling? Don't attach to any of it. Don't grasp onto it. Just observe it. Say, oh, yeah, that's nice. And let it go. Because you want to observe the transient nature of your mind. Right? <sighs> Breathe. And each time you take that breath, allow a little more of what you're sensing from the outside world to come into focus. All right? So by the time you get to the end of that fifth or sixth breath, you'll find that you're much calmer. You'll find that you're more focused. You'll find that you feel better about yourself and your world, and you are more dialed in to what's happening. And you are more dialed into this moment, this place in your life. I will add a blog post that provides some of the overview here and uh, a few uh, links that you can follow if you're more curious about these things. And I promise we will follow up with another episode on meditation here in the next couple of weeks that gets into more of the how-to details. But for now, what I want you to walk away with is this ability to just practice a mindful minute once or twice a day. Go ahead. You, you don't, it doesn't, even if you feel foolish, do it. And see what happens in your life when you do that. Because we all need to be better to ourselves. And we all need to cut ourselves a break. And this is a really simple way to do it. And it also is building parts of the brain that we need to pay more attention to. So, between now and next time, this is what you need to do. And share with me on social media how it's working for you. And, and I will almost guarantee that you won't notice much the first couple of times that you do it. You, you just need to practice it, right? It's just like dialing any other skill in. So give it a few days, a few weeks, and, and just try it. So now that you are more confident and quiet from your mindful minute, go forth into the world, be well, do well, and do good. Sure to join the conversation at Your Life Lived Well on all of your favorite social media sites, Patreon, and of course, yourlifelivedwell.co. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe.